If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me uh, for the last time, at least for a while, uh, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. Today we conclude a study that we began way back in uh, April, excuse me, not April, uh, way back in October of last year. Um, We're all four months older than we were then, Uh, and Daniel is uh, well into his 90s now, having met this uh, character as a young man at the beginning of the book, a young man hauled from his homeland into a foreign place, and yet a man who has shown us what it means to be faithful, a man who has pointed us to a faithful God. Daniel is a book that has reminded us, among other things, that in spite of appearances, despite the beastly actions of the nations and of men in particular, God not only knows, but God is in control. And in a hostile world, as I said, Daniel has shown us what faithfulness looks like what living in light of God's sovereignty, what living in light of God's victory, assured victory and future hope looks like. So, as we come to the end of our study, as we come to the end of uh, this book, Daniel chapter 11 and then into into chapter 12 is a fitting uh, revisiting and, and summary of many of the themes that we have looked at already over these past months. Those of you who are last week, remember that we are in the middle of uh, a vision, a, a very large vision uh, that the Lord is giving Daniel. We introduced it last week. It's a vision that's given in response to Daniel's prayer, a prayer of confession, uh, a prayer for restoration for His people that He prayed back in Daniel chapter 9. Well, today in this vision, excuse me, last week in this vision, He's already reminded His people and us that His view of history is without surprises, that His view of history has His people at the center. And today we conclude that message that He began last week with three more reminders And so, uh, I would encourage you to uh, stand, if you would, out of honor for God's Word and the reading of it. If you are able, please stand and listen as I read Daniel chapter 11, uh, verse 36, and reading down through verse 13 of chapter 12 to the end of the book. Daniel 11. Verse 36, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, 
for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab, and the main part of the Ammonites." He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who slept in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Contempt, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand, he raised his left hand toward heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times, and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place, 
at the end of the days. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We come again this morning to what is yet another very difficult passage. Not only does it contain this this prophetic and, and apocalyptic language, some of which is, is not meant for literalism, but meant to point to something else. Not only that, but this passage, in a sense, and I tell you this at the very beginning of our time together, wrestling with these words, the passage seems to zoom in and out of ancient history, what still lies imminently before Daniel and his generation, and future history that still lies before us, meaning the the end of all time. And so there's this, this zooming in and this zooming out and zooming in and zooming out, and it's it's difficult to get your bearings where exactly you are. There's much detail in this passage that not only do I not understand, but no one understands with any degree of of certainty. And so beware of those who declare dogmatically what they see here in the book of Daniel. But the Lord doesn't just give us this prophecy, and specifically this passage this morning, to remind us of our frailty, to remind us of our dependence, to leave us in a state of confusion. No, the Lord gives us this passage to remind us of truth. That was true for Daniel's generation. It's true for you who sit here today. And so, as I've wrestled with this passage this, this week, I want us to think about three truths that the Holy Spirit can impress, I hope He impresses upon our hearts, and that those truths then begin to work their way into our lives. The first one is this, trouble is coming but the trouble is temporary. Trouble is coming, but the trouble is temporary. You've all heard the phrase, all good things must come to an end. Of course, that's not an axiom that we as Christians ought to live by. It's not an axiom that I live by. No, by grace, my future is always brighter than my present. Praise God that that is true because of Jesus. But building upon that and bound up with that is this phrase, all bad things must come to an end. And that is true. That is true. 
history, even beastly history, especially beastly history as we have called it. Those of you who have been here, we've taken the allegorical beasts that Daniel has been shown. Even beastly history is not meaningless. It's not endless, but it will come to a predetermined end. So let's dive in. As we pick up in verse 36, in the middle of the vision, a vision that we stopped uh, studying last week, we learn in verse 36 of the king who shall do as he wills. Now, we think we know who this king is. Well, we do know who this king is, at least kind of. This is Antichius, Antichicus the fourth. This ancient king who we, we talked about last week, this ancient king who is clearly the focus of verses 21 through 35. We learn of him in history. We learn of his atrocities. We learn of his beastly nature specifically geared towards the people of God. And now as we hear this description given to this king in verses 36 and following, much of it rings true to what we have already heard about this man, the little horn, remember he is described. Much of it rings familiar. This king is brutal. This king is egotistical. This king is a god unto himself, honoring only the god of fortresses, meaning his idol is his military strength, his idol is his military power, and his ability to subdue and to conquer. The problem is that as we start to read the verses that follow verse 36, The description goes so far beyond this ancient king. It just doesn't match him, especially it doesn't match in verses 44 and 45 what history records about his death. Antichicus IV actually died in some skirmish in, in Persia not in this great mounting of, of forces. And so, as we come to this passage, this is the, some of the zooming in and, and zooming out that we see. There's no clear indicator that we have shifted to someone different than this ancient king that Daniel doesn't know, but that God's people will soon know in the generations to come. But it's clear that the Lord is describing someone or something that is bigger, an ultimate Antichicus, an Antichrist, we might say, an Antichrist that is still to come. And whether this, this, future, is, it, this future enemy, whether this is an individual or whether this is a, a spirit of the age, we don't precisely know. But I think the point, that it, the point that we can gain and the fact that it's not clear here is that the point is not necessarily for us, God's people. It wasn't this way for Daniel either. The point for us is not necessarily identification 
but simply recognition. Recognition. Recognition that there are, that there will be, that there will be to the end spiritual forces aligned against the people of God. And it will be this way until the end. And we see it. We see it today, don't we? We see some of this self-rule, blasphemy, an infatuation with the worship of power, whether it be military, whether it be financial. We feel the blasphemous nature of our culture pressing in on us and on our kids. And the Lord is reminding Daniel in a very specific way of of a historical figure that's coming. He's reminding his people here today that trouble is coming. Indeed, trouble, in a sense, is already here, but that trouble is temporary. And I recognize that that doesn't take away the pain. That doesn't take away the struggle. It doesn't take away the frustration. But it's not a mere platitude. It's actually hope, hope that lies before us, certain hope. One of the striking things about this enemy is that in, a, in six Hebrew words stated in verse 45, all his pomp, all his power, all his wind, in six Hebrew words, He's wiped off the stage of history. The Lord is done with him. And the time markers that we find throughout this passage, at that time, at the time of the end, only underline this theme that we have heard throughout the book, that this is God's script. Yes, trouble is coming, but that trouble is temporary. And in a sense, this has been the message of Daniel all along. Right? God's people will be subject to hostile human powers generations after generations. Daniel didn't want it to be this way. He read the book of Jeremiah. He wanted to see the end. He wanted to see the full restoration of Jerusalem. And the Lord said, there's no, there's more to come. Generations after generations will be engulfed in conflict until the time is over. And how long that will be, we don't know. The Lord doesn't want us to know, but we know that it will have its end. You see, God's people needed to hear this. Daniel needed to hear this. We need to hear this. We need to hear that we are not forgotten. We need to hear that end is certain and in sight. Malcolm Muggeridge, a British journalist of the mid-late 20th century, perhaps you've heard of that name, he wrote this, and I think it sums up well the sentiments of those in this room, of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, of those who hope in the promises of His Word. He says, let us then rejoice when we see around us every, at every hand the decay of the institutions and instruments of power. 
that we see intimations of empires falling to pieces, money in total disarray, dictators and parliamentarians alike nonplussed by the confusion and conflicts which encompass them. For it is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found lacking, when every possibility of help from earthly resources has been sought and is not forthcoming, and has been explored to no effect when every recourse this world offers, moral as well as material, has been found ineffective, when the shivering cold, when in the shivering cold the last stick of wood has been thrown on the fire, and in the gathering darkness every glimmer of light has finally flickered out, it is then that Christ's hand reaches out firm and sure. Then Christ's words bring their inexpressible comfort. Then His light shines brightest, abolishing the darkness forever. So finding in everything only deception and nothingness, the soul is constrained to have recourse to God Himself and to rest in Him alone. You see, this is the gospel according to Daniel. Trouble is coming, but that trouble is temporary. And God puts that before His people that they might live in an awareness of that, that they might not, that they might live in such a way that they don't lose heart. Take heart, Paul says. Don't lose heart. Jesus reminds us, I have overcome the world. But that doesn't mean, that's not to say that the Christian is merely passive. No, we, we fight with weapons not of this world. And that takes us back a couple weeks ago. As, as we're reminded here in this passage in chapter 12, in the very beginning ver- verses of, of Michael, your prince, the one who fights for the people of God. Don't forget that your prayers connect with heavenly realities, with heavenly conflicts. And this world is so much more enchanted than we think. And that leads us to the second truth this morning. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of trouble that we know is coming, that we in some ways are experiencing now, in the midst of trouble, God is refining His people. And here I'm jumping to almost the end of the passage to verse 10. Look with me there. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. The people of God and we, excuse me, the people of Israel and we, the people of God today, we still have so much to endure. But simply put, despite how we feel, our suffering is not the abandonment of God, but is indeed the work of God. Isaiah spoke of this work in his Prophecy, Isaiah 48, 10, Behold, the Lord says, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. We say, why? Why, Father? 
Why does it have to be this way? Well, the Lord is forming for Himself a bride. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blameless, without blemish. Samuel Rutherford, the 17th century pastor and one of the penners, one of the Westminster divines as we call them, he wrote in his book, The Loveliness of Christ, this. He says, he takes, speaking of the Lord, he takes his children in his arms when they come into deep waters, when they lose ground and are having to swim, then his hand is under their chin. And then this phrase that many of you have heard before, I do see that grace grows best in winter. I do see that grace grows best in winter. Now, believe me, I've prayed, Lord, grow me, make me like Christ. But if you could do it in a way other than fire, other than refinement, other than a furnace, that would be great. But I know from walking with many of you, wow, how the Lord has grown you, how the Lord has shaped you, how envious I am at the ways that the Lord has shaped you through fire and through affliction. There are many types of furnaces, right? There are many degrees of temperature, but there's one refiner, Daniel 12 reminds us that He knows you by name and that your name is indelibly, indelibly written in His book. But even more than that, how hot was the furnace that our Lord Jesus endured? That's where Daniel points us again to the gospel betrayed by those closest to him, his father turning his back upon him as he took upon himself the, the sin of the world. Yes, I know suffering hurts, but the promises of his word, the promise of the gospel is meant to soothe. And so when, when that heat gets turned up in your lives, this is where we ought to go, to the one who has guaranteed our names in the book of life by his blood, to the one who knows what the fire feels like. Remember, going back, to the book of going back to the beginning of Daniel, he was in the furnace. He is in the furnace with you. And he is the one who has ultimately paved the way for resurrection. And that's one of the beautiful things that we see in Daniel chapter 12 at the end of this prophecy. This passage makes clear that resurrection is certain for those who are his, especially those who have suffered to the point of giving up their own lives. He will reverse their fortunes and they will shine like the stars. There are a few clearer 
Old Testament references to the certainty that we will be raised than here in Daniel chapter 12. But Daniel chapter 12 also tells us and teaches us that not all will be raised to life. Verse 4 states, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Here we hear echoes of another prophet, of the prophet Amos in Amos 8. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. In other words, those who repeatedly reject and want nothing to do with the word of the Lord, eventually, they won't find it. His word, his promise, his presence will be absent. And we call that, we call that hell. Theirs is a resurrection of judgment rather than life. And so, does God know your name? If you're here this morning and you are not found in Jesus, then be warned and run to Him. Cast yourself upon His mercy. Trust in His sacrifice. But if you know Jesus, if Jesus knows you, then as the hymn writer says, it is not death to die. It is not death to die, to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears and wake in joy before your throne, delivered from our fears. We would have sung the whole hymn if I knew the tune, but. Brothers and sisters, remember in the midst of trouble, in the midst of struggle, remember His refinement. Rejoice in His certain resurrection And then finally, wait for His rescue. Wait for His rescue. And that's the last point I want us to think about is that the details may be mysterious, but His promises are not. The details may be mysterious, but His promises are not. This is not a cop-out. This is not Pastor Nate just being lazy this week and not wanting to get to the bottom of these things. It's just the reality that much is still mysterious. And, and indeed, the whole point of, excuse me, the whole book of Daniel has in a way been building to this point. And that's uncomfortable for us. It's hard to live with, with unanswered questions. We want to know, we want to be able to fix what's broken. We want the answer to the equation. We want to solve the puzzle. The Bible doesn't always give us what we want, and here at the end of Daniel, he doesn't even give Daniel what he wants. 
takes some solace in the fact that Daniel himself is confused. (laughs) How long is the question posed by the angel? How long till this happens? How long will this all be happening? Not only is the precise question unclear, but the answer is confusing. The answer is confusing. But the oath is not. So, yeah, I can't answer the question on how long. He raised, verse 7, he raised his right hand and he raised his left hand toward heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. It's the same answer that's given in the vision of chapter 7. It's often understood as three and a half years. Then in verses 11, the number of days is given, 1,290 days, which is about three and a half years. Is that meant to be taken literally? Is it meant to represent half of a judgment cycle, which is typically seven years? We're not sure, but we're sure that it is a definite time. And this pronounced oath, it's not just one hand to heaven, it's a pronounced, exaggerated oath. This much is certain, I swear to you. This in many ways is for us then not a puzzle to be solved, but an exercise of trust. Refined, resurrected, and rewarded with rest. That is your future in Christ Jesus. That is my future in Christ Jesus. And with that knowledge, we can heed the words of of verse 13 as the angel suddenly shifts almost nonchalantly. Go your way to the end. As one commentator noted, it's the modern day equivalent of, of keep calm and carry on. What do you mean, keep calm and carry on? Trouble is coming. Trouble is upon me. Suffering is upon me. But indeed, in Christ Jesus, in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel according to Daniel, amidst the uncertainty, amidst the the mystery, this is possible. Daniel is instructed to seal the book to the end. That's not to hide its contents. That's to preserve its contents for future generations, for the promises are for us and for our children. And they all point to this glorious reality that lies ahead in human history. Yes, trouble will be here for a while, but God is refining His people. For that mysterious day, whenever it comes, at the end of time, That day that John gets a glimpse of, and I close with this, because it speaks to what we've spoken of already in Daniel chapter 12, Revelation 20, verse 11, and then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we in the midst of, of our history, the history that you have called the souls in this room to live, we feel the struggle. We feel the pain. We have the longing. Father, we thank you for the certainty. We thank you for the definitive nature of history, a history that you have written, a history that you will bring to a close in glorious fashion as your people are raised to life, as their names are known. and as the fullness of newness is enjoyed. Oh, Father, as we long for that day, we pray for the grace to go on our way and to carry on, to walk in ordinary and yet grace-filled and Spirit-empowered faithfulness, to take the suffering and the trouble and the affliction that, that, you, that you know is upon us, to allow that to shape us and to fashion us into that bride without spot or blemish that you are preparing for yourself. Oh, Father, you're worthy. Lord Jesus, you're worthy. Come quickly, we pray. By the power of your Spirit and in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen.